At the signal, time will be out of joint. Hello and welcome to Weird Signal, the podcast dedicated to all things eerie, weird and hauntological, which you are listening to right this very moment. We are recording this in the 10th month of Plague Year Zero, um, where everything, as you know, has got very odd, very stressful and just oh so very tiring. You will have noticed that we haven't done anything for... Lucy, looking in your direction, six months? Um, it's been a good while, hasn't it? So we haven't done also, anything... So- hi. Oh, yes. Hello, I'm Sean, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm here with, with Lucy. Um, yeah. Um, actually, yeah, just an uh, observation. Um, so, I started this season sick, and suddenly I'm sick again. But, like, Fingers crossed, neither of those things. Well, that wasn't Corona the first time, and it's definitely not now because it's a wet cough and sneezing. Good, good. I've, despite having extremely limited social contact, limited to the occasional coffee, going to church, and oddly playing football, that's something I've gotten into, which is. We did that brunch that time. (laughs) We did have brunch, we did that brunch. Despite this very limited social contact, I think I've had three colds since, like, September, I think. I think it's because because I'm always just I'm just because I'm a sickly human. I'm just perpetually ill during the winter months. Anyway, I'm normally lurching from like one cold to one chest infection to one flu after another. So so far, it's just been colds. Uh, I went through it's, the. It's still it's still like fucking freaks my nut that I was able to get a cold when everyone's wearing fucking masks. <laughs> um, but yeah, we should. Uh, this isn't spooky enough. We, uh, I feel the spooky quotient of this uh, episode where we've been mostly talking about kind of like uh, epidemiology, which is like I'm sure a subject that everyone really wants to hear about right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, it's fucking Halloween. It and is Halloween. We recorded this a bit like, before. We were recording this a bit before yeah. Halloween, but you'll be hearing this on because, Halloween. Yeah, on Halloween itself, because it's like basically like we. We've got a lot of shit on. I'm doing a MSc in politics, uh, and we're both like fucked in terms of job situations. Although I hear Sean's is improving, uh, but we've basically not had time. But we couldn't, we couldn't fucking, we couldn't let this year just kind of like peter out on like <clears throat> without doing a Halloween episode. Even though like the last episode like we did together was a banger, but. We need, we need more, and the people need more before we disappear into the long, dark winter again. <laughs> exactly, um, exactly. So we want, we wanted to, we wanted to give everyone a uh, a fun and entertaining send off, which is going to be actually a different format to how we've done it before, because um, the usual format is actually like extremely labour intensive, which is why we never manage more than one episode a month, because it's reading all those books actually chews up loads of time when you're also working full time uh <laughs> kind of like and we're also really niche so it, it, it like you know um so yeah <laughs> so this episode yeah. the the format that we're going to be following uh if uh, this year's halloween episode is lucy and i have selected 10 films between us five each uh which we are just gonna like rattle through I recommend to you. Um, we, yeah. I think we've both used slightly. Well, I'll go first to explaining my methodology because I know you've uh-huh. had your own philosophy here. I've decided to just pick 
five movies which I have seen, you know, either recently or have have seen at all. I've not podcasted for a while, excuse me. Uh, I've picked five movies which I really like and hope that you will really like, I've, but I've specifically tried to go for stuff which is either, in my estimation, underappreciated or just hasn't really kind of like had the penetration that it deserved to have, um, really. So, um, yeah, so that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, Lucy, would you like to, because you're yeah, going to tell uh, us about your movies, I mean, your first film. kind of so. like, more or less like, similar vibe, like, um, in a lot of these cases, actually, it's ones that I've latched onto for the fact that, like, I can't believe they're not more famous or that they're not kind of, like, at least something that gets talked about a lot in cult circles. Or, yeah, or, like, <clears throat> yeah, and, and as you'll see, that will mean various things. But, like, I've also just, like, I'm, as people know, I'm a vibes gal. And I, um, I primarily watch films for the vibe because <laughs> horror doesn't actually scare me and people are like, why, why do you actually watch these? And I'm like, for the fucking vibe. Gotta get the vibe. <laughs> and so, um, starting off with... <coughs> oh, fucking hell. Um, starting off with a really fucking stonking vibe, like this, like, the definition of mood. Uh, my first film is Nadia. We have come for the body of Count Voivoda Arminius Ceausescu Dracula. I believe there is a wooden stake in the heart. You will take us to him. How did you know about that? I'm a relative. Can you identify the body? We will take the body. Uh, 1994's Nadia, directed by... Oh, Jesus. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have not prepared. <laughs> no, I've prepared so much, but it's just like it's uh I don't wanna I don't wanna fuck up the pronunciation. It's Michael Almereda. Um Almeri um Almereda. Yeah, cool. Um but specifically it's um like the reason why it fucking ghouls me that people aren't talking about this a whole bunch is because um well, the personnel involved, pretty much, because it's got it was produced by David Lynch. Okay, I'm just gonna put that right up there, and also has a camp. You know, David Lynch produced some bad things and was involved in some bad projects, but it's kind of still, you know, it kind of. There's got to be some fans out there who would have picked this up. Um, <coughs> and like, basically, yeah. So in in addition to David Lynch. Um, Peter Fonda is in it. Um, like, fucking Peter Fonda. I don't know <clears throat> I don't know if, like, you know, he sells a lot of tickets in this town, but, you know, Peter Fonda, to me, that's a big name. He's Jane Fonda's brother. He's, P- he's uh, the other Fonda, the elder Fonda, Albert Fonda. Uh, he's his son. And, you know, he was, like, one of the main fucking, like, superstar alt underground heroes of the Acid Generation. He was one half of the Easy Rider Easy Riders, the other one being Dennis Hopper, of course. And, um, yeah, he's partied. Um, and it also has, like, it's got someone called Galaxy Craze, who I think was primarily, like, a novelist, but their name is Galaxy Craze, and that's fucking brilliant. And <laughs> it also has Jared Harris, uh, who, no. I don't know if we've talked a good amount about Jared Harris, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, so he was, um, 
He's basically, if you've ever seen a show and it appears to have a kind of like sad Irish man who, um, sad but kind of like ruggedly attractive Irish man who, um, it predicts disaster and has that real kind of like Cassandra complex going on because like he's completely right and no one ever fucking listens to him. Uh, so he was uh, the captain in um, The Terror. <coughs> and he was also in eight, more recently in HBO's Chernobyl as the reason, a scientist who's like I just want to pause yeah. you the reason why I exclaimed no when you said Jared Harris is because my quite tired today brain confused him with Jared Leto so why are you rec- no he's always the worst singing whatever he's in why would you recommend this film <laughs> mm. well I mean like yeah that's Jared Leto so like Calvin Harris I think he's the son of someone called Calvin Harris um, he was like a big deal as well. I don't know, yeah, Jar- yeah, Jared Harris is um, wonderful. He he played um, King George in uh, the Crown uh, as well. Yeah. He's just did he predict something terrible was happening? No one was going to listen. Like, did no, he was just mostly kind of like World War Two. Like, maybe we shouldn't be palling around with these Nazis. I don't think so. I, I think know. he was mostly yeah. just kind of like sad and very very sick. <laughs> mm. <laughs> a really du- like, just, I'm just going to like lean into tangents here. There's a very dark moment in that show where, like, I have, I'm assuming this is based in fact on like history at least somewhat. Where it turns out that when they, when like the Privy Council found out the king was dying of lung cancer, or whatever it was, they just decided not to tell him, so he'd carry on his duties regardless because they thought it was not within his best interests to know his own health. That's a horrible thing uh, to think well, about happening, even if you are a king. Eerily so. topical, considering we are like less than two weeks away from the election. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah um, so yeah so like he's a different Irish guy in this and he's a vampire because this is a film about vampires <laughs> um, it is a kind of like Dracula but kind of not really um, set in New York specifically like so this is like the level of coolness because I already like premised it with like it's vampires in New York it's produced by David Lynch it's got all these crazy people in it but um it's shot in kind of like arty black and white that occasionally shifts into like what I can only describe as fucking like Game Boy camera where it goes all like pixelated and slow motion and and also it has a 100% shoegaze soundtrack. Um, actually, no, not a 100% because there's also some Porter's Head in there who I guess would count as kind of like atmospheric trip hop. But there's a lot of like uh, My Bloody Valentine and... Um, band whose name escapes me but really really good but yeah would recommend um and yeah it's like it's interesting because it's like i guess like the film it's kind of most indebted to oh yeah and like just just in terms of like how dracula it is it's basically like nadja comes to america because she's like seeking her brother or something and it's the kind of like coming over from the east um to the west i'll play a clip there's a very good summary bit but um <clears throat> but yeah, and the brother is, is Jared Harris. Uh, it's sort of like, in terms of like what it's indebted to, because um, it's a, it's an obscure film, but um, it's sort of a bit like if you've ever seen The Hunger, the kind of lesbian vampire one set in New York that's also got David Bowie in it. It's kind of like The Hunger, but for the 90s. No, like, I've not. And is, yeah, it's like extremely of the 90s as The Hunger was of the 80s. The Hunger, like, notably opens with a club scene where David Bowie and this lady are going to a club to, to like find victims and literally Bauhaus are playing Bella Lugosi's dead in the club um, no writers like, use subtext yeah. they're all cowards <clears throat> yeah and so like um, also I think like 
there is actually a specific riff on that because they talk about like treating the vampire illness or whatever and they talk about and like uh they talk about using like baby shark embryos um and they do that same thing in the hunger where they talk about like exactly like using baby shark embryos so it's like it's kind of links but i think it's like I kind of, like, flag it up, it's, like, in terms of timing as well. It came out in the same year as uh, Interview with a Vampire, and could arguably be considered the much, much cooler version of Interview with a Vampire. Um, like, I don't know, the hipster version of Interview with a Vampire. It's, like, it's kind of, like, this, I think, is something that's like, sums up how of its time it was, in the fact that, um, they talk, a, it's set in Manhattan, and they talk about Brooklyn, as the what you know, Brooklyn is the less cool place because it's like, uh, it's like when it's Manhattan then is like what Brooklyn is now in the same way that you know like, you know how like neighborhoods like get, ed- they're kind of edgy, and then they get all gentrified, and then they stop being edgy and the other one's edgy and it's like this is pre edgy Brooklyn, um, this is st- still edgy Manhattan and it has some wonderful wonderful scenes in bars, um, and some very very like tense kind of glacially slow monologues where kind of beautiful vampiric women talk to each other talk like talk cryptically to um sort of pouting women in flannel shirts while smoking it's wonderful and um and peter fonda's character is literally called van helsing uh i don't think there's much more to be said about that but like fucking go watch it um it, also it's really hard to get hold of you like there's very few downloads. I, I managed to download it after, a, like, the torrent took about a week. And uh, on Amazon, uh, they, the two buying options are a Region 1 v- a DVD or VHS. So, yeah, that's uh, that's about the level of distribution. But I think more people need to pick it up because it's fucking great. Um, but, yeah. Um, vampires. Vampires. Have you got any vampire films? I do not have uh, any vampire films prepared. I have, um, for my first entry in this litany of horrors, um, is Baskin. As in brackets, that bitch Carol. <laughs> <laughs> oh god! Um, I realised this was completely unintentional, but all of the films I've picked are um, s- subsequent from the year two thousand. All twenty first um, century films. I had, no, I had no idea I was doing that until like, I finished the yeah. list. But uh, yeah, so there you go. Anyway, Baskin, which is a twenty fifteen film, it is a Turkish horror movie uh and this is sure. the directorial debut of i i'm gonna destroy you every turkish like word i try and say here so i'm very sorry uh can Efrenol is the guy's name uh-huh. uh or chan I, I i don't know how to pronounce it can. can so the name i don't think turkish has like a ch sound and lo- not a lot of languages do oh well there you go, go on. There we are. Yeah. So, Baskin. So, the the word literally means raid, as in, uh, like, a, a police raid or a sortie or something. So, yeah. it's it, it's one of those films where, like, you, you're, you're going to love this, Luce, because it is very vibe. Like, it's 
plot mm. isn't it, the plot is very difficult to summarize, but I, I, I'm going to attempt to sort of like summarize it. It's um, it's about a squad of um, cops who basically just kind of like are tooling around one night in their police van more or less like it starts off kind of like faintly almost like faintly tarantino-esque we saw that they're in a like this uh uh, like diner i guess you would call it and just sort of like exchanging you know sort of like um obscene anecdotes but it's all very like weird and tense and kind of like not quite right and in that you know delicious way where you can actually exactly say why it's not quite right but just it isn't um and they're just you know going about and basically i love i love a good off vibe <laughs> it basically if, if i recall correctly they like they they crashed the van and they're still like wandering about like trying to find okay well we need to you know like f- find someone to sort this and they're told that there's this old police station nearby uh and they kind of just like go over to it and without going into like too many details because i don't want i want to preserve the shock value of this film as much as i can basically um hell portal that, that's the film um hey. that's that in terms of plot that's yeah uh what is so really fascinating and just like brilliant about this movie is that um it is just it, it replicates the feeling of being in a nightmare like almost absolutely perfectly like the like the narrative is quite disconnected there's a lot of like moving backwards and forth between like childhood recollections and stuff that's going on right now uh and it becomes extremely surreal and hallucinogenic um and it just has this you know what it's like when you're in those very deep dreams like very very deep bad dreams in particular where there's kind of like this like um process of intensification as you kind of like descend further and further into Mm. it and like if you try and reconstruct you know and this is like classic how dreams work you know sort of like it makes sense when you're in it but if you try to reconstruct like the narrative that the dream followed after you wake up you can almost never do it like it's just this movement through um unconnected you know unconnected or signify you know was it signifies without signifies just kind of like following down Mm. a train of um a train a a train of sort of like tangents basically yeah i was just gonna say like yeah that that kind of that dream logic where things are implicit, things are implicitly understood. Yes. And like that that thing you mentioned about just going to an like that <clears throat> I don't know if it's like better situated in in the actual telling of the film, but it's like the description of like oh, and they have to go to like an old police station. That kind of thing of um, like going to a second location. We've we're just like we've got to go here. And it's like, oh, it's a bit like something you'd expect, but it's kind of a shitter version of it. But we have to go there anyway for reasons. <laughs> like that is, that's really good as a kind of dreamy element. I like mm. that. It's um, yeah. The film takes place in, in entirely uh, at night, so there's this um, really kind of like disorientated like feeling to it, where it's it's very unclear what exactly is happening. And when they do actually like gets you know fall into this kind of like hell realm it is just like one of the most genuinely like viscerally like disturbing bits of cinema i've seen in quite a while like it is really like um yeah it's proper kind of like nasty 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 gore like it's so if you're if you're into that you will have a really good time but if that's something that you're really not here for then maybe sit this one out like um the because it's it's just like because it is this like feeling of just like not quite being able to believe what is you're seeing uh like there's a kind of like 
but there's still like a kind of like perverse logic to everything that's happening like these are how things have to turn out because this is the way we are now um it's yeah um i will also just like put a very slight little little content warning out there like if you're if if like me you're especially not okay with eye stuff uh yeah that happens but like the film does at least warn you a little bit as it gets to that point like you know it's you know it's coming but yeah you might want to look away at that point as i had to do um it's very disorientating it's it's very strange i i really liked it it's got this such like a like i said because i think and this is, you know, the same reason why it's accurate to describe Lynch's films as being dreamlike, because, you know, what Lynch underst- understands and what Evronol uh, uh, apparently understands as well is that um, when we talk about things being dreamlike, we don't mean it's just a load of random crap happening for its own sake. We mean that um, things are following, like you said, an implicit logic of their own, but it's one that makes sense for as much as you are moving with it as for as much as you're allowing yourself to kind of move with your intuitions which is why like i've not really been able to offer like much of a summary of the film because it's it it, it once you got to step out of it and you try to describe it like it was a bunch of cops who get fall into a hell realm like that's that is mm-hmm. the story like but but there's this much like st- wonderful atmosphere of the hallucinogenic and the, the genuinely nightmarish to it which is just really good so um yeah yeah that, that's that the first one I want to suggest uh, I, a little sidebar for um, leading into uh, not anticipating this as being a conversation that we're going to have right now but something is worth like throwing out there is uh, the like the the villain like when we uh, meet him is played by a guy called uh, Mehmet uh, Kerahoglu and what's uh, striking about this guy and one of the things you might have heard about this film if you've um, heard about it but not seen it is that um, he was kind of like hired the the director just kind of like came across this guy by chance and hired him because he has uh, an extremely rare skin condition which uh, gives him um uh which the director felt sort of like gave him like a very sort of like strange appearance that he wants so he said i want you to be in my horror movie um so and the reason i want to bring this up here because i think there's like there's definitely a conversation to be had around this film and also around horror generally about how the genre tends to treat people with disabilities or or people perceived as kind of like having a a striking physical otherness to them basically so i think that is something to there is i'm not saying um he shouldn't you know i'm not i'm not saying anything really about sort of like what you know the correctness of what happened in this film when it came to that came to that i just kind of want to you know yeah. state that there is something there's a conversation that does need to be had had yeah. there sort of you know around questions about exploitation and representation of um, people with disabilities um people yeah. perceived I mean, as like, other so have you seen have you seen uh under the skin the uh mm. yes i forget who that's by but it's got that wonderful uh michael levy soundtrack um but um yeah, the, the Scottish thing. That has an actor in it who, uh, you know, there's a bit where, this isn't really spoilers, but like Scarlett Johansson picks up someone with a, um, with a, with like a kind of congenital, like facial deformity. Um, the act, that wasn't like prosthetics, that was actually the actor as well in this case. Yes, and that's, I think uh, I'm just that... trying to get the, uh, yeah, guy, he's, he's, uh, he's a television presenter actually called um, Adam yeah. Pearson who has. And uh, I think he had actually, like, 
his involvement in that capacity was interesting because he has actually like tackled that subject explicitly as he a had, thing. Yeah, he said that because <coughs> yeah, don't, yeah, not to give too much away about Under the Skin if you haven't seen it, but Scarlett Johansson is uh kind of an alien who's out there sort of seducing men and um, maybe don't say alien but like (laughs) but the uh basically what uh, but yeah what's interesting about that is um when it comes to that scene like how how she uh seduces him or tries to seduce him um is that um pearson himself the actor like he worked with a script writer for the scripting of that scene to tell us well this is what um she should say to me basically for that so there was a so i think that's an example of some uh really good representation there um because where it was um allowing him to not just be a uh you know a, a figure of um a novelty figure really for for the film to actually you know he's played a uh a, a really kind of sort of like a meaningful creative role in sort of like in deciding how he was going to be represented in that film mm-hmm. uh yeah so uh, uh, yeah. You want to That's... tell us about your next film? Ooh, yes, I do. Uh, so, continuing with the films not in English uh, vibe, and continuing with the extremely gory and upsetting vibe. Good. Um, uh, this is the next film I want to talk about is Organ, which I believe came from 1996. <laughs> I don't think all my films are kind of a 90s, but that does seem to be happening. Uh, yeah, so basically, and also, I'm going to s- straight up say, I think this might be the first time we've talked about a film by a female director on the podcast, but I'm sorry <laughs> that this is happening. However, it's a very significant female director and an underappreciated female director, one might say. Uh, so, Organ, directed 1996 by 1K Fujiwara, who... Um, if that name seems familiar to you, it is because she was a star of and also cinematographer for uh, Shinya Sikumoto's uh, 1988 film Tetsuo the Iron Man. Uh, she plays the girlfriend who gets the robo penis at one point. Uh, or like kind of vacuum cleaner nozzle penis thing. And, this drill bit um, penis. Oh no, he gets the drill bit penis, but I think at an earlier point in the film, she oh, like sorry, yeah, I thought where she sodomizes him with a vacuum cleaner type penis attachment. Yeah, thing. so I, I I misunderstood what you meant when you said that she got the penis because she uh, got the penis. I mean, the, she, yeah, she do get um, the drill bit penis. Yeah, in yeah, a certain um, uh, sense. Yeah, but yeah, she was like she wasn't just. I mean, she was um, a collaborator on um, like just a very very integrated collaborator on um, Tetsuo the Iron Man. As everyone involved with that film was, because it was shot on basically no money, you know, like, um, and so, like, and, like, you know, like, Shinji Tsukamoto is a, is an act, is a, I think he might be the main guy in it or something, um, and, yeah, and everyone, and, like, and also, it was Kei Fujiwara's flat that a lot of the interior scenes took place in, and indeed a lot of the effects were taken, and, uh, she's just fucking remarkable, because, like, I think she she also worked with him on um, his previous film, which is like, I think it's called the the Adventures of the Adventure of Denchu Kozo or the Adventure of Electric Rod Boy, uh, which is about a boy with a big electric rod growing out of his back. So similar kind of vibe, um, and I think 
like, just judging by, um, Organ, um, I think she was actually, like, largely responsible for a lot of the kind of the weird tone and pace and aesthetic of, uh, Tetsuo, or, you know, she had a big contribution to that, because, like, so, Organ, 1996, it centres... It's a kind of fragmented thing uh, where two or a couple of stories are drawn together, but um, <coughs> the initial premise is um, that there is an organ smuggling ring in Tokyo, and the first scenes we get are kind of a raid on this ring where we get some very sustained shots of just fucking awful things happening as live live victims are sort of taken into this like a like grody sweaty warehouse to be pulled apart and. Um, KG K Fujiwara herself stars as um, a lady with an eye patch dissecting live human, like vivisecting people, and um, to get the organs. And then I think like a cop is disappears, and then it cuts to like a school, and there's some weird stuff going on around the school, and like there's a creepy staff member, and there's a guy being kind of like kept alive in a cupboard, surrounded by plants, and like kind of integrating with the plants. And there's some very very spacey psychedelic stuff. It's basically like. <clears throat> it's um it's like Tetsuo for girls because it's like that's with boys um or you know there's a lot of kind of like gender kind of fluidity in Tetsuo but that's you know that's for the fellas really and it's all metal whereas this is girls and it's got plants because that's how like media works and although like you know it's not but you know it's the same kind of like weird and tropic nightmare scenario and um yeah it's uh it's fucking insane. And, like, basically, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about that. So, just, like, to cut back to Katie Fujiwara herself, um, she's only actually done, like, two films that she's directed, because she's primarily a theatre director. And her kind of theatrical, like, her theatrical legacy is fucking amazing. I've just got a quote, I think, somewhere. Um, um, so, yeah, she was um, part of... She, like, her background is in a Japanese form of experimental theatre called uh, Jokyo Gekijo, which means situation theatre, known for unconventional kind of, like, directorial practices. Everything is has to be done in one take. It's very kind of improvisational. And there's a lot of insane shit, insane kind of kinetic energy. And so, like, as with Tetsuo, a lot of this was just, like, you get one fucking take. We don't have that much film and you're in my flat. You know, I need to kick you out eventually. And I think that way, there's there's a kind of quote I really like. Um, and oh, was it like yeah? Shot in her apartment for the. This is describing her apartment for Tetsuo. It's like um, Denchu Kozo, that's the electric rod boy in Tetsuo. Were at, this was uh, an interview with Mubi, um, the magazine, well, like the blog thing they have with Mubi video. Um, Denji Kozo and Tetsuo were actually both shot in my apartment where I was living at the time. You know all those cats? I couldn't rent a normal apartment, so I had to live in a cheap Nagaya tenement house on the verge of getting demolished. I just needed a place to live that permitted pets. Denji Kozo and Tetsuo's interior shots are all at my place. So, that's fucking cool. And she now just lives, um, Wikipedia, according to Wikipedia, she lives in a remote part of the Nagano Mountains now. Um, but yeah, just like, there's an interview... I think it's under the title World in a Crystal Ball, and it's just fucking wild. Um, but the other thing I wanted to talk about... <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things I wanted to talk about... This is funny that about the film. It's like... So the in, like the premise is it's about organ harvesting, like live organ harvesting and kind of underground gang networks and stuff. This is like played out quite a lot at the beginning of the film, and this is kind of like 
what the film is framed as and all the marketing. But it kind of, like, occupies about five minutes at the beginning. And then, like, right towards the end, a guy goes, come on, we've got to get those organ shipments. And it's just like, okay, like, oh yeah, that thing the film's supposed to be about. Just like, Gah, let's get that right back in there. Um, but I also wanted to talk a little bit about, um, like... <clears throat> So this is possibly a question to return to when when we do more weird signal episodes when when we're in position to do so. Um, so we've talked a lot, you know, we talked I think a lot in the house episode about um, about the legacy of World War II in Japan and the atomic legacy uh, and how like kind of there was a different kind of backlash or uh, process of recollection or forgetting. Um, or kind of like denationalization, or uh, or you know, de 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 denazification, or and stuff in Germany that wasn't really replicated in the same way in Japan. But um, so you know how with um, the Nazis there was Operation Paperclip, uh, where the Americans basically just hoovered up um, uh, weapon specialists to work on the space project and shit, and so we had literal Nazis as, like, famed scientists like Werner von Braun and shit. Mm. Um, they did a similar thing with the scientists of Unit 731 who carried out a series of extremely awful, like, atrocities on civilians. That's uh, uh, yeah, it. If you like... ever want to absolutely ruin your evening, listener, just look at the unit... Um, what well, god was it 371 wikipedia 731 731 wikipedia page just read the things they did because it's uh it's some of the worst things that have ever happened it's uh mm. one of the things that because um and it's interesting you mentioned that lucy because one of the th- like one of the worst things i remember reading about that when i decided to do that to myself was the actual like results that when the Americans you know, just like took all of their documents and all of their German warfare scientists and all that yeah. and actually went through the data the conclusion they reached was absolutely none of it was of any practical value because yeah it was absolute fucking garbage these were just this is just madness because not that it would have made it you know better if sort of like but don't worry all of those um, Chinese villagers they killed with typhoid and all that and don't worry it's fine because we got some great typhoid bombs from it um, it's just the fact there's just something obviously that would be terrible as well but it's just something kind of like even more like cosmically horrendous thinking about the fact that sort of like there was absolutely nothing like that could be done practically nothing, nothing yeah. could be extracted that you could make crude, a thing basic and unscientific it was just like it was just like it was disproportionately valued because they saw it was kind of like the forbidden fruit of human experimentation and it's like oh it turns out it wasn't just forbidden it was also pointless yeah um but yeah, the well, the interesting the thing I I want to flag out about that is like, and also a question I kind of have to leave unanswered for now because I didn't didn't have time to do the research, but like, or even speculate upon it, which is like, how much has Japanese media, if at all, handled the legacy <coughs> of Unit Seven Thirty One? Um, and I would argue, perhaps, of everything I've seen, this comes closest to it, unless like you know there is a kind of current in Japanese body horror that feeds into that, but the reason I bring that up is because, well, going back to the point I made earlier about the fact that, like, like Operation Paperclip, these guys were just kind of, like, disappeared, basically. Um, a lot of them went to America, but a lot of them just stuck around in Japan under new identities, and the reason they were found out, and the reason why a lot of the very much suppressed information about 731 eventually got out was because some of these guys just didn't stop, even after the war. Um, and, like... The quote from Wikipedia, I think, um, well, this is a 
this is a passage I've copied here, but like, um, Japanese discussions, oh, I'm just going to drink some water actually. <sighs> yeah. All right. So Japanese discussions of unit 731's activity began in the 1950s after the, after the end, uh, after the end of the American occupation of Japan. In 1952, human experiments carried out in Nagoya City Pediatric Hospital, which re resulted in one death, were publicly tied to former members of Unit 731. Later in that decade, journalists suspected that the murders attributed to, by the government to Sadamichi Hiroshisawa, uh, who was a Japanese serial killer, were actually carried out by members of Unit 731. In 1958, Japanese author Shisaku Endo published the book The Sea and Poison about human experimentation, which is thought to have been based on a real incident. Um, so it's like, yeah, is, is there kind of like a weird legacy of Unit 731 kind of running through this film or perhaps others? I don't know. Um, but that's something to think about. So, yeah. Sorry I just told you, well, like, no, everyone needs to know about Unit 731. But there's anyway. A, yeah, there's, two, there's two things I want to mention, uh, kind of just in passing before I move on to uh, my next uh, film, assuming that you're done. Sorry, Lucy. Yeah, I'm, I'm done. <laughs> it's, uh, it's interesting. I just This is just a pure, uh, like, purely tangential, but I love my tangents. Um, it's interesting what you're saying there about, you know, this legacy of, like, operational legacy of unit 731 because um there is you know the infamous um conspiracy theory it's one of those conspiracy theories which is one ones that feels intuitively like it must be at least a bit true which is that of the uh the, the nazi international and you know the uh with the, the notion that after they just got hoovered up by the cia and just got used for anti-communist activities all over the world kind of i mean that's the version of it which is probably true but like there is like the kind of like the grandest or like more like weird one is the idea that um the third reich just kind of like went underground and just kind of like carried on so like working against the world secretly because it's one of those things where there's like little bits of it which are probably at least a bit true like um like as it talk you know there's the notion of the rat lines the you know the supposed secret escape um like plans that a uh, high-ranking officers of the ss had um colonia dignidad yeah because um, this is one of those yeah. that colonia dignidad which was literally a colony of nazis that in um in uh, argentina and it's uh it's because one of the things about this is that um there are little bits of this, which like there's enough of it is like demonstrably irrefutably true, but it does make you think as well. Is there actually kind of a little bit more truth to this? Like, could some of these people actually have managed to go so deep underground they were able to emerge the other side and just carry on the project somehow? Um, it is, and actually, one of the things that's one of the things I like, uh, uh, what random little facts I like is um, there's a conspiracy author and uh, well independent researcher if you want to be a little bit nicer called and um it just interesting all around guy and uh total weirdo peter lavender who oh, we've uh, talked about him before yeah he wrote really yeah. interesting actually just a genuinely really good book about um um kenneth grant uh hp lovecraft and alistair crowley which is just a really interesting bit of like scholarship we, we about we talked about that on our on Mosferatu episode mm. and yeah. and he actually because he uh he's a proponent of the notion of the nazi international and he had been saying for apps literally for decades that there was like a colony of nazis in south america which he had like met an encounter during an investigation he was on and he got like so he got he said you know they have connections with the secret police and you know, this is very very real and when 
all the stuff about Colonia Dignitad like finally came out and turned out the CIA had like a, a dossier on them and all that and they actually had been like they were like the interrogation specialists that they use and all that yeah, I remember just on this blog who was saying so fucking told you so didn't I like I'm not saying he's right about all the other stuff but he was right about the actual you know, colony of Nazis um the second point Doesn't I wanted that imply to make he may is also just have been, yeah yeah <laughs> But the second point I wanted to make, which is just a just like brief in passing thing on the subject of movies about organ harvesting gangs, is a film I've never sat through and do not recommend you attempt to watch. But I have tried to watch once, like all the way through, and didn't get very far. Is a very weird and bad, bad film uh, called Pearls Without Pearls Before Swine, which is uh, I forget the name of the guy who directed it. But it's most well known as the movie the movie that Boyd Rice made. Um, basically, though oh, he didn't, he didn't direct it. Oh wait, it, is he, this like, the one you've shown me bits of? Yeah, I've shown you bits of it because it really, is quite really bad spanking scene. Yeah, it opened like Boyd Rice. If you don't know who <laughs> Boyd Rice is, uh, he is he is one of like the genuinely is one of like the pioneers of like noise music and industrial music. Like he was really prominent in like the underground industrial scene in the 80s and um has like connections with a lot of like the art a lot of these you know artists like including sort of ones who've not exactly gone mainstream but have like quite good reputations now like current 93 uh but he was most well known for his like stuff he did on his own uh, under the name boyd rice or non and um stuff he did with uh, death in june uh which all kind of like quite dodgy dodgy bands because that board rice is a really has like really horrible politics he's very right wing he have um, you seen that guy boyd nice yes on facebook <laughs> it would be psychic trash Freud facebook group which is the only good thing on facebook fucking um, shout out to princess friendship <laughs> the uh but yeah boyd rice who is like no he's got like he is like very extremely he's a fascist he's very very right wing and this film pearls before swine which is a very bad film which was um in which he plays the lead he plays this um assassin i think he's meant to be who is also really into um s and m he's a masochist he's a, well he's uh you know, say the masochist and like the film opens with like a, just a really badly made scene of him dressed as a schoolboy being spanked by this just large man um it's just like i mean like i just mean in terms of just like production it's just not very good like <laughs> and he is a terrible actor as well and it's he's not um, even fucking recoiling he's like not even like yeah, there's no reacting slightly in react like no reaction not even like you know even if like you are like absolutely you know suddenly tuning all your sensei you know your brain was in another space and you weren't feeling anything like you'd still move forward a little bit even to a very very light whack um and this is apparently a sit well judging by the kind of like fucking obvious recording of someone like like banging a book with another book uh, <laughs> that it sounds like this is just being played over in the room it's fucking terrible. But, but a reason I mention it is because like one of the I don't even know if it's the main plot of the film or not because I got very I didn't get very far with it because it is very bad. Is that he is uh, <laughs> part of this gang of organ harvesting mercenaries who like because this is this is a fascist <laughs> film. You know, we all, like the director describes this film as advocating a new form of transcendental non-racist fascism. Shrug emoji. Oh, um, and it's just cringe. this terrible bit where they just round up some um, homeless people. And just like shoot them, and they just and they just like be, and they're just saying, yeah, remember to shoot them in the head so that we can harvest their organs. It's it is very bad. The uh, like the only like clip of it I've seen, which like is 
I'm not even going to. I'm not going to say it's good, but at least sort of managed to hold my genuinely hold my attention a little bit. Is a, a clip where he just goes to, because uh, this is an Australian film, and he go and uh, the guy uh, in who the guy behind Death in June, Douglas P, lives in Melbourne. I think it is. And this is a really weird sequence where he just goes to this guy's flat and he plays uh, like this uh, plays this like um, uh, archiver of of um, erotica and pornography and they just have a conversation about like like 1920s german uh s&m porn but just because neither of them like but neither of these people are actors or have any kind of skill with it and they're just talking just both very very flat voices very just very clearly just going through lines they've been like they've um been memorizing just oh yes this particular edition is very interesting a salute to dominant women and it's it's just quite I don't know. Maybe you should watch it. I mean, it is an awful, awful, and quite you know morally okay, reprehensible yeah. film. <laughs> it is like, yeah. There you go. That's a, a film about organ <laughs> harvesting. Right. And you're going to do the next film just by having like got it. All right. Well, if we're doing this, if we're doing tangents, I think we need to just break up the recording a little bit. So I'm just going to talk about like what I've been watching recently because I, I struggled to get even four films together. Um, so like. Uh, well, mostly because I haven't really been watching films, I've been watching series. And what series have I been watching? I've been watching Hobbit It, which is a uh, the 1993 Finnish live-action adaptation of technically the entirety of The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings um, on for no money. Um, and it's, like, the dankest shit I've ever seen. Just, like, everything about it has this monumentally fucked vibe. Um, like, fucking, like, there's no kind of, like, they haven't bothered even, like, with the the vague pretext of making the hobbits short. Like, they're literally taller than Gandalf, (laughs) who is really hot. Like, Gandalf is really, really hot. Boromir, um, is for some reason, like, a kind of cyberpunk ninja Boromir. With a top knot and like a katana, and like well, it kind of makes sense. So there's like kind of like cyberpunk fucking Neo Tokyo, um, <laughs> like uh, the tower bit. What is it, minus Tirith or whatever? We never see that. Like lo- huge bits are just fucking emitted or or just happen off screen. Like, but so it can focus on key scenes, which are. Really super disgusting golem who's called Klonku in this, <laughs> and um, he's like, you, t- golem is not canonically a big lad, but this guy's like, we see so much of his ass as well. It's incredible, and um, it's really upsetting, um, but amazing. And then like, so Boromir, we've got like uh, fucking rave casualty dwarf um who's that dwarf guy gimli gimli yeah rave casualty gimli who just looks like sad and fucked and um for some reason like brie is the wild west um it takes like the majority of the season to get up to the forming of the fellowship and then they wrap up the other two books and the rest of that in the remaining four episodes (laughs) which are like Less than running about 20 minutes each. And, um... Uh, like, and for some reason, Brie is the Wild West. And even though, like, they, they're they super economical with timing and just cut loads of shit out, but, like, when they do a song, they do the whole fucking song. And it's wonderful. And I downloaded an extreme... <laughs> Um, less than one gigabyte for the entire series, like, shit VHS rip of it. It's amazing. Um, 
So yeah, uh, that's, that's what I've been watching. I also watched uh, Revolution Regal Yutina, as people who follow me on Twitter will know, because I don't shut up about it. I've also, like, because I'm, like, back at uni now, I'm, like, trying to be, like, really, really scholarly and, and create that kind of atmosphere of, of, um, of kind of <coughs> magic school shit by just, like, playing the ambient or incidental music from Utina just while I'm working, which is fun. Uh, but I do feel like, well, you know, I, I, I'm not just going to rehash my tweets. I'll say, you know, anyway, um, it's your turn to do a film now, Sean. <laughs> Great. Uh, sorry, second film from me. Um, maybe we'll uh, try and maybe we'll try and get through the rest of them a little bit quicker because I think we're covering up to nah. forty five minutes now. Anyway, nah, so next film. Fine. For me. People list, People expect us to. People expect three hours, like two to three hours from us every time. All right. Next film is uh, a dark song. And may all my transgressions be washed. May my light be here now, guiding me, protecting me. Which is, um, isn't it? It's a, a British Irish film from 2016, uh, directed by Liam Gavin. Uh, so this is so this is interest. What's interesting about this film is that it appears to have just like flown totally under the radar. Uh, like, and I saw, I can't remember exactly when it was, I think it must have been last year, but I, I saw, like, I follow the director on Twitter, and he did, like, tweet something sort of, like, and I'm assuming he knows this through sort of, like, Amazon Prime stats or something like that, but he said, like, only, like, five or six people in the entire country have actually watched this movie that he's made, and it's not a low, I mean, it's low budget, but not, like, micro budget like it's a pro- it is proper like it has like real actors and stuff in it and it's got like really good like location shots it is a, it's yeah so it's I, i'm kind of just like curious about how this film exists then like because it just appears to have had almost no like commercial impact at all and it seems to be and i like learned about it through uh, word of mouth and um it's it's kind of a lot more conventional than the two films we just talked about. Like, it's got quite a vague, like, clear narrative to it. It's um, about this woman called uh, Sophia, who's played by Catherine Walker, who hires basically, like, a jobbing occultist called Joseph Solomon, who's played, like, brilliantly by um, Steve um, Oram, Oram uh, to assist her in performing uh, the Abramelon operation. Uh, and so the Abramelon is, is, this is real, like, it's actually, they've done their homework, like, this is proper, like, real magic, um, real magic. Um, it's, it is a notoriously long and very demanding magical ritual, which takes, like, months to do properly. Uh, and the idea is that you reach this point where you have kind of like they're going through these magical operations which involve summoning and binding and um exercising all of the different uh demons of hell that are listed in a book called uh, the Garisha, and going you have to lead live like a totally morally pure life they're like a monkish life where you know alcohol absolute celibacy you can't like stuff i think it's even stuff like you can't eat meat and, and things like that and you have to pray many many times throughout the day like the idea is that you reach this point of such absolute like cleanliness that you are allowed direct contact with uh your holy guardian angel this uh, and so you get like a direct conduit to uh the divine pleroma basically and the idea is that once this happens you are it's kind of childlike almost you you're granted a wish 
essentially you can have because you've attains and i think the idea is you attain such like a, a connection with god that you that um you're just able to bring about your will almost and so the film is basically just the two of them in this uh old like country manor house just doing this uh it's and the just like the like the design work in this film is just absolutely incredible like uh all, like there are distinct different rooms for different kinds of magical operation and it is clear like in the context of the film that the magic is real but it's, it's handled like for the most part like very elegantly and subtly like it's all just kind of like odd things happening like there's a there's a particular scene where she just kind of looks up um, above the frame and just like flower petals i think it is just kind of like uh, rain down on her it's it's in it's yeah it's so it just it just it's a film that just looks really really good because of that like all of these distinct ritual spaces they create and like the horror of the film uh is it's like it's, it's, it comes in two ways one is like the kind of like the growing sense of like weirdness of what's going on around them there's the tensions that build between um the two protagonists as like as like the magician slowly realizes that actually she hasn't been honest with him about why she wants to complete this ritual it's what it's got kind of like almost like a ben walker vibe in terms of it's sort of like it's very naturalistic a lot of the time it's got that kind of like dingy british who's cafes what was that sorry who's ben walker not ben walker fucking hell um ben, ben wheatley Ben Wheatley, yeah, Ben Walker is someone ah. someone I knew at university. I don't think listens to this podcast, but hello is if it, you is do. It time, uh, is it is that time to like bring up the the fucking bombshell that dropped today? Oh yeah! Oh my god! Actually, Wheatley. yeah, just just throw it yeah. in quickly. Yeah. Okay, Ben Wheatley's doing the Meg. Um, <laughs> ben the Meg too. The Meg. <clears throat> and like that's fucking insane. Like, well, that's the thing. It's like they might have just got him in. To be like, hey, it's Ben Wheatley, and then just said, like, by the way, just, like, you've got a storyboard, just do that. Like, apparently that happens quite a lot. Like, um, apparently some of the Marvel movies have, like, kind of... Well, I was talking to Nick about this today. Apparently, like, some of the Marvel movies have interesting directors, but, like, they don't really direct on those films. They're just sort of that. Um, But, yeah, and they're not like, I'll change anything. So it might be shit, or it might be... It might, you know, have Michael Smiley as the Meg... As uh, Max suggested, or, so, or like, as like, just to have like, just kind of rave casualty Irish guy um, on a boat, and also like, if they get like Ben Powers of uh, Blank Mass to, well, uh, who is also Blank, who who records under Blank Mass, also fuck buttons, um, to do the soundtrack, wouldn't that be grand? Wouldn't like, uh- that be amazing? I'm imagining, um, I'm imagining, I'm trying to imagine rather what uh, the Meg meets kill list would 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 be like. Um, I, I'm very much up for sort of like uh, a claustrophobic, ultra naturalistic movie about um, Meg two, two Meg mm. two two. Um, <laughs> uh, it's that, uh, yeah. So fingers crossed on that. Like if it does live up to its promise, that whatever it's promising, it's not really promised anything that we know of. <laughs> No just, film ever does, but yeah, but go go on. Yeah, just just to go back to my film quickly. So like, this is like, a, it's quite, it's a much more accessible film than the last ones we've talked about. It's a film that is really deserving 
your attention basically like it, it's not uh, especially i don't when i say it's undemanding i don't mean like in this like it's uh, like cheap or easy or anything like that it's really good i just mean so like, comparatively like with these like weird experimental nightmarish films <laughs> like no it's quite it's quite an easy ride it's just really good like it's got like this kind of like almost like hammer not well i don't want to say hammer vibe because that makes it sound like cheesy but in terms of it just being kind of like quite a classic like gothic tale almost in some ways then you know these people sort of like in this beautiful old house isolated from the rest of the world or sort of like with like this interplay of like personal subjective emotional forces and external supernatural forces kind of moving around them it's just really well made it's a really good film that's just like more people should watch it it's really good and you'll like it listener you'll have it's a good kind of halloween kind of movie like it's um it's got that good kind of like spook with mixture with emotional payoff kind of thing going on so yeah there you go lucy regale Uh, us sing oh muse sing of your (coughs) next film uh yeah so this is actually a film um that i have mentioned in passing on this podcast already but i bring it up here because i have actually prepared some statements about, well not prepared some statements but like read up a bit more about it that is toad road i'd like to you just you become accustomed to the the fucking culture itself and you surround yourself with drunk people and then like by the time you realize like where you are like waking up in places that you've never been before like it's it's like it's beyond the point of no return you know like you cannot where do you go it's all you know it's like it's like fucking like a walk down Toad Road, for Christ's sakes, you know? Like, you're there, you're fucked already, like. What's Toad Road? Oh yeah, you're a city girl, you don't know about Toad Road. Which uh, was um, directed by Jason Baker, and there was another banker, but there was another guy involved in the project as well, um, who's actually officially the director. Uh, And I guess it's picking up two themes that we discussed earlier. One is the descent into hell, and the other is this kind of like the dreamlike feeling associated with that. And it's, I watched, I kind of rewatched it the other night. It is just a fucking stonking film. So it's um, kind of like, it's halfway between sort of a, it looks like a found footage film. And except it is actually like a, a staged drama thing um, that follows like the life in like this small, I think Midwestern town. I don't know, it's Maryland. It's because uh, they talk about like kind of like seeing the lights of Baltimore from a roof at one point. Um, <clears throat> so like Maryland, like Blair Witch Country, you'll remember, like s- astute weird signal listeners. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's basically um, it's the narrative of like basically a bunch of like teenagers or young people getting really fucked a lot and partying and like basically just um, partying just because they're dejected and see no kind of like see no kind of prospects for themselves in life so just in this kind of like self-destructive hole where they just can't stop partying um and it follows the main character um who's called james who i think the the actor playing him is also called james something he's just like single name james he uh meets he's like got a girlfriend and the girlfriend is kind of uh, he's kind of like He's sort of, like, aware he's in a kind of documentary thing because there are some, like, scenes where he's talking with a psychiatrist in a kind of very interview formatty thing. Um, and then his girlfriend starts talking about, like, like she kind of, like, sees their party lifestyle and kind of wants in on it. And he's like, no, it really sucks, you know. Um, 
and she's like she's kind of like kind of more cre- I think she's quite creative and so sees like partying and stuff she sees something more to it or something that she can achieve through drugs whereas everyone else is kind of just getting lit to like just forget things or like think as little as possible and just party um and he's like no it's like it's really fucked you know it's like you might as well be on the toad road you know because you're, you're in hell um you're stuck in this kind of like hell situation she's like what's the toad road and he's like oh it's this local urban legend thing we have here where um i don't think i'm spoiling this too much because it's like the it's a vibe film it's not a very vibey film but basically um and this is like the plot summary that is given but basically the toad road is a local urban legend where there's like a road around the back of town where if you follow it you go through the seven gates of hell uh and eventually and it's like kind of goes into this you know eventually she talks him into doing this thing and um they get like you know they get really high and do this thing uh and it's under very interesting circumstances and then uh, basically, it all goes horribly wrong. But it's just basically, even though that's the bit that deals spe- specifically with the hell narrative, there's this sense that they are kind of all in hell. Like, there's this abstract just understanding of, like, hell and damnation or purgatory that they're stuck in and they can't, they're either unable to get out of it or they're fighting really hard to get out of it or they're just resigned to it. Um, and um, <clears throat> so what's remarkable, I think, about this specifically is... Um, so it was put out by Spectavision in 2012, um, before Spectavision was really, you know, as well known for, like, its recent successes with Mandy and, uh, Colour Out of Space. Um, but the story of its coming about is very interesting. So Jason Banker, he, um, started the project, I think he was, like, a camera person initially, just, or, you know, like, just filmmaker, didn't really want to take, like, a directorial hat, necessarily. Uh, but what he started off doing was... Uh, he was, um, there was apparently, like, a documentary in 2009 made on All Tomorrow's Parties, which is the kind of, like, indie festival in, uh, that takes place in Pontins. It's actually in the UK. And he filmed that and then kind of was put in mind of, like, what if I make a kind of a film, you know, a narrative film inspired by this kind of, like, just chaos, the the vibe of chaos of these kind of, like, party scenes of, like, bands and stuff and people getting fucked. And then he did that. And, like, so the found footage element, a lot of the scenes are kind of, like, semi-staged or unstaged, but they actually happen, including people getting extremely fucked and throwing up and, like, having really bad times or just, like, rolling around and and trashing living rooms and stuff. That A lot of that is kind of real or sort of real. Um, (coughs) And then as he was working with this, he started... kind of developing this, developing the narrative element of it, which is where all the themes kind of come in. And then I think a couple of years into production, where he'd been like shopping this project around for a while, uh, a certain Elijah Wood got involved, uh, who was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to contribute to this. And uh, he also approached like another director guy who kind of like uh, got involved on the directorial thing, but it's just, it's got extremely good, powerful kind of dreamlike energy that really matches these themes really nicely. But also specifically, it has a really Mandy energy. And just in terms of its tone, it's kind of like chaotic. Well, like not chaoticness, but like the tone, the, the, 
it's not all just like trashing things. Sometimes they, they go out to the woods or they go to a cave or they're just out in fields and things. And it feels very dreamlike, like those early scenes in Mandy where they're by the lake or they're just living their lives. And there's actually a shot of the girl walking through the woods, which is very much like that famous kind of like dream, the notable dream sequency bit of Mandy walking through the kind of woods where it's all green and she finds the dead deer. Um, so yeah, there's some vibes of that. And I think like maybe... Maybe Elijah Wood kind of carried some things over, and there's things like there's a descending shot where they're all stat like sitting by a river, uh, and that is like very much like where the the shot pans down and sees them in the boat in Mandy on the lake. So you know that's it's kind of interesting, and also James, the main guy, has I realized watching it an extremely Nicolas Cage energy, um, uh, but yeah, it's just. Um, I've just put, just reading my notes here, it's just like one of the most compelling films about mental illness, men, uh, self-destruction and dejectedness I've ever seen that is actively painful to watch at times. So just absolutely go do it. Uh, also, it's, given the time it was made, it's all fucking MySpace generation teenagers and young people. And there are some extremely regrettable hairstyles or hairstyles that I remember that are still kind of like then they're now having fucking nostalgia accounts about them and the you know people rowering each other and stuff like that's now that's now retro which is disturbing but like yeah this is it it's of its time and that is that time and it's good so yeah Toad Road absolutely fucking go watch it buy it give these people money great yeah, yeah. right great. so tearing through this so it's interesting that, uh, well, kind of like carrying on with the um, flipping uh, found footage vibe. I forgot how to use words for a moment, that seems. So I've got, so I've been a little bit cheeky here and I've actually got two movies as my third entry. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know. I mean, found footage films all have a lot of similarity to one another, don't they? So kind of, and there's two I kind of wanted to include and decided just kind of like, concertine of them together a little bit um so i've got two movies here um the borderlands and grave encounters is anybody here dc Which uh, are again both really good Halloween spook movies, right? So I'll just I'll just launch into it. So twenty thirteen, uh, so, <laughs> Borderlands is a twenty thirteen uh, British found footage movie directed by Elliot Goldner, uh, and I'm going to summarise the plot with three words: Vatican miracle investigators. Hey, um, hey. so I watched this film on uh, Shadow, I think it was, and I kind of put it on because I was I think I was just in bed ill one day like sometime last year i just wanted to watch i watch lots of horror movies when i'm ill that's just that's just like how i vibe it out and um yeah this particular like one i put on because i read the description and thought well that sounds dumb as all hell i'll put that on they'll be en- en- you know, entertaining and it turned out to actually just be one of the best horror films i've seen in absolutely ages it's actually just a really really like studied and patient gradual intensification of disquiet because basically what's about is um uh, these two Vatican miracle investigators um played by Gordon Kennedy and Robin Hill uh, Robin Hill who was in Ben Wheatley's debut actually um Down Terrace and oh, I think he might have done some other stuff that. with him as well but yeah yes and um yeah so basically like um they 
and so Gordon Kennedy's Canada character Canada character is this <laughs> is this kind of like grizzled veteran uh, Vatican miracle investigator. They refer to him as one criticism I will make of this film, and then just like put it to one side is I do kind of get the impression that the director and screenwriter and all that might not have actually quite known how the catholic church works um because like, his title rather confusingly is brother deacon and so i was i was left so like scratch my head a little bit thinking out so like is he a priest is he some kind of like rogue well, monk is he maybe it's like drip a cad file there was a character called brother Pryor, um <laughs> like but i think his name was just Pryor, um or something and so it's like kind of isn't Pryor also a title yeah it is because like, like deacon because like tradi- like the three orders of the church you're like oh, the order of deacons the order of priests and the order of bishops it's kind of, why is he called brother deacon and by that being said i do actually know through this orthodox priest i know actually that i know of an orthodox priest with a confusing name of father deacon as well so i, I don't know so but there were a couple there were a couple of moments like there were a couple of moments like that where like for example the church that they're investigating these supposed supernatural events the film the church that they're filming in is just like visibly not a catholic church and, and stuff but um it's as opposed to like incredibly <laughs> minor details Literally which are a synagogue. <laughs> <laughs> but those are minor details that aren't going to bother anyone except me but um so yeah basically they they are dispatched to investigate supposed supernatural miraculous occurrences at this church in i think it's devonshire it's meant to be or uh or devonshire is that okay? it's just devon isn't it it's just devon what the hell? Oh my god! I've, I've, I've dear oh dear oh dear oh dear. I'm not doing very I'm well. I'm the one here, who's am I? supposed to be ill. <laughs> <laughs> the um, it's been a tough year, listener. Anyway, anyway, the um, so well and yeah. Again, I'm not going to like, reveal too much about the the plot. This is quite a simple plot. With like, and it's just like them discovering the dark secrets of this uh, ancient church. But it's just really good. It's like the performances are like excellent the script is very well mostly excellent the, t- the two leads and most of the supporting characters are excellent um the uh and like the the, the script is, is actually just genuinely very intelligent and compelling and again like just the way that like you slowly r- realize what actually is that's going on it's just executed extremely well it's a really a very very solid very very like just genuinely intelligent horror movie that was clearly made with five pence and a, and a camera right it's it's a very very you know obviously like kind of bordering an ultra low budget but it's just really freaking good and it's a really just please watch it it's just absolutely i just couldn't quite believe how like excellent this film i just kind of stumbled on accidentally turned out to be it's really fantastic um the other film i'm talking about here is again a it's not uh, it's not as good as, as the Borderlands. It's a much more just like plain viscerally entertaining movie. It is Grave Encounters, uh, which is from 2011 and directed by Colin Minahan and Stuart Ortiz. <laughs> Minahan. Uh, <laughs> Are you Graham Linnan? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm Colin Minahan. Just <laughs> <laughs> fucking like moustache on. <laughs> I'm Guy Incognito. <laughs> Who is this Graham Linnan? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this 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 hero, this champion Gremlin of whom you speak? Uh, <laughs> oh bloody hell. Anyway. Ally Colin Minner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, slander of this poor man by association. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Colin. Sorry, Colin. 
Sorry, Colin. Uh, so, Grave Encounters. It's about a kind of most haunted style paranormal investigation like TV show who uh, go to this um, what's meant to be a haunted asylum and a uh, haunted abandoned asylum and they kind of like uh, arrange with the custodian that they're going to be like locked in for the night and they'll find all of the like spooks and ghouls and goblins and all that running about the place <laughs> and the what then happens is like so they cut the, they're in the asylum and uh you know kind of like tooling about a bit and like the first like quarter past the first third of the film is just like them just like being frauds just like running about the place you know they, they know it's all bollocks it's just all make-believe like at one point they just like pay a guy to say he like saw like shadow figures and stuff like that but you know the inevitable happens where it turns to oh no actually there really is something supernatural going on there but it's what how, how we do this is just so um it's just done so very very well where where when it comes closer and closer to the time where they're meant to be like the doors meant to be unlocked like 6 a.m but it just gets closer to the time and they slowly start to realize that um because they can see through the like the grating on the windows that the sun still hasn't risen and that's actually still dark out and when it like gets like 7 a.m in the morning and they realize yeah the door's still sealed shut and it's still visibly night outside they end up just like banging the door down and it opens up to just another corridor in and which uh, in the asylum which they just Ooh. start you know moving through so figure out well, what the hell's going on it's because like it is like i mean yeah it's kind of like it was all like i said all found footage movies do resemble one another quite a bit and it is like fairly predictable like you kind of know the kind of what's going to happen from this kind of movie so it does like follow similar kind of like um the tropes that were laid down by movies like Blair Witch, but it's just re- it's just done like very very well. Again, it's just another one of these like really just well executed, entertaining movies that um, deserves to be seen by more people. You'll have uh, a lot of fun watching it. It's um, there's a character in particular who just turns up who's meant to be like the medium and just the way they shoot him when he like turns up is just like him like dramatically taking off his sunglasses and looking like all pensive and concerned it's just absolutely excellent it's very entertaining it notes exactly the kind of film that it's trying to be and wants to be and it manages to do that you'll you'll like it that's in fact the last thing i wrote down in my notes here is you'll really like this film it's yeah it's just really entertaining um it just reminds me just because um uh, I, I imagine most of our listeners will have um, no one will have seen Hellier by this point but if you want to watch an actually just genuinely really good bit of like paranormal spooky investigation and you can watch it entirely uh, for free because um, they, they uploaded the whole thing to like various channels like YouTube entirely for free then yeah watch Hellier it's really good it's actually just genuinely like really good and really really interesting um, about some like just visibly really likeable guys in America who just go to this tiny little town called Hellier to look for goblins and it's just I mean, there's a lot more to it than that and the lot of people uh, it's just really good it's a really good bit of telly please watch it please watch it um i will and just to sort of counter counterpoint that um i remember uh, i'm not sure when this was it was sometime last year i think it was when uh i came up to i I came up to yours lucy either for a party or to record but me and your housemate nick ended up sort of like at like one in the two or three in the morning watching uh, an amazon prime paranormal investigation show called rogue mysteries which was um which only three episodes of it were made it was clearly just like this this one dude's passion project and it is just i have 
don't even know if it's on there anymore. I think he, I think he got taken down. But it's <laughs> please just try, try and find it and watch it because it's just very it's very bad and in a really wonderful way. Like um, they go to like the like the second two episodes, which were two parter, are them go is this guy going to the area of road where the Betty and Barney Hill abduction was meant to take place and he goes there to hold a seance with ghosts confusingly which I just kept watching thinking but but they didn't die like when Betty and Barney Hill didn't die there for a goblin that may or may not have died what was that is that spoiler (laughs) they hold a goblin seance (laughs) they do hold a goblin seance yeah actually yeah yeah. we're holding a seance right now (laughs) (laughs) technically Uh, yeah, think so about it. think about it in a certain sense, certain wrong sense. Yes, yeah. um, I'm just thinking. Yeah, um, uh, I was just gonna say, like, even though I said like we should drop this on Halloween, maybe we should drop it before Halloween because people might be looking for things to watch before. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, that's a good yeah. idea actually. So let's just, just scrub like, that bit out of your memory. Uh, yeah, uh, let's just get this like, let's just get this shit out there, like. Once we've synced it up, I, I don't think we need to do much editing other than like the ten minutes where I went to make a coffee. Yeah, and if you want to put a clip in or something, like I'm not going to edit this uh, conversation I, out. Like, I don't want to put because then I'd have to put like ten films worth of clips in, and I'm not doing that. I've got, <laughs> I've got a master's degree to do. <laughs> Busy uh, girl. <sighs> we both took sips of our drinks at the same time there. Um, I'm not editing any of this. All of this stays yeah, in. Fuck that. Yeah. yeah, it's Halloween. <laughs> it's Halloween and we're very tired. Yeah. Um, bloody hell. Yeah, so... Shall I do a film? Yeah, do film. Yeah, so those are... Like, okay. So there you go, Borderlands and Grave Encounters, both hey, really fun that's films. That's for the price of, like, about one and a half. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, the next film I've got is Tesis. Quería pedirte un favor. Me han dicho que te gusta mucho el cine violento y que tienes muchas películas de esas. ¿De esas? Sí, ya sabes, gore, pornografía. Para empezar no las tengo y aunque las tuviera no te las dejaría. Si quieres ponerte cachonda, vete a un sex shop. Quizá puedan ayudarte. Las necesito para mi tesis. Es sobre la violencia audiovisual. Pues haberla hecho sobre Mickey Mouse. Which I watched when I was... Um going kind of mad over the summer. This is around the time where I was like, I'm going to be a politics journalist and I'm going to disappear to South America to chart the rise of global fascism, which is hence why I'm doing the MSc in politics at the moment. And I was working on the Spanish and I was recommended this film uh, on Twitter. Um, I don't remember by whom, but um, yeah, it's really... um, It's just really fucking good, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. It is... 1990 again with the 90s and this is 1996 uh it's spanish i think it's set in madrid um i actually don't know what city it's set in but it's like basically customers i had posted when i watched it, i posted some screen grabs from it so there's that scene where a lady comes up to a guy in a classroom and says um i hear you like violent films and you've got quite a collection you know gore porn um that and I, I just posted those two images of, like, her asking and then the guy, like, reacting, kind of pissed off. And it was, like, short Lucy and Sean meeting 2011, brackets colorized, <laughs> uh, Because um, it was a while back. Uh, but, yeah, like, the full quote is, like, um, 
that's not true and I wouldn't give them to you anyway. If you want to get turned on, go to a sex shop. Uh, but yeah, basically, so Tesis is a nineteen ninety six film and it's about um like <clears throat> basically some film students, uh one of them's doing like a research project on like violent like snuff films and stuff and psychology and whatever. Um I remember it well. And 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 uh and then like, you know, she meets up with this guy, they form a kind of like they pal around. <coughs> I think she goes to find something from the school archives and then finds, like, a video that's been mysteriously left there, uh, which contains an actual murder happening. And then it's, like, it turns out it was left there by, like, the murderer because the murderer is involved in the university. I can't actually remember the plot, but it's just a very, very good kind of taut thriller. Uh, it's got kind of ring vibes. I think it was either the same year or kind of, like, slightly before, but, like, that whole thing about, like, a guy and a girl just sort of, like, doing lots of video research, tracking down something that's gonna kill them, like, getting more and more embroiled in the thing that, like, and getting increasingly endangered by what they're watching. Um, and I think it's, it's got kind of what I would describe as a kind of Hitchcockian feel to it, both in the kind of tension, that kind of, like, ambiguity of, like, is it horror, is it thriller kind of thing, but also just, you know how Hitchcock always, like, wore his, like, Freudian psychoanalysis tropes on his sleeve? Um, it doesn't, it's not quite that overt, but it does have that element to it that that kind of feeds back into the, um, into the kind of, like, the narrative in a, in a bit of a kind of, like, 1950s throwback way, almost. Um, and also, a lot of it takes place in this, like, university, which, um, is a, is a thing very, very dear to both Sean and myself, who are UEA graduates, um, big concrete academic structures right. studying film. It makes me very, very happy and made me very nostalgic. And, um, yeah. Um, but also it's just fucking, it's just fucking good. Go watch it. It's, this one's fairly easy to get a hold of, but like, it's real good. <coughs> yeah. Um, that's all I had to say about thesis. Go watch. Um, yeah. There you go. Great. Um, uh-huh. I shall now also talk about a film. Let Dude, me. What's your next film, Sean? My next film is uh, The Wailing from 2016. <laughs> Uh, oh, it, is that the Guy de Massapon story adaptation? Lola. What? Wait. The. Wait. Wait. The Wailing 2016. Oh, no, it's nothing to do with that. Is it the Korean one? Yes. How dare you uh, interrupt me? How dare I'm sorry. You? All right, so The Wailing is a South Korean horror film that's uh, way, way better than Parasite. There, I said it. I said the thing Whoa. I think is actually pretty uncontroversial. You know, in our circles, isn't it? But Parasite is you know, good but overrated. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, it, yeah, it's... Uh, I know the Oscars are trash anyway, so... Uh, so, yeah, Wailing's directed by uh, Na Hong Jin. And again, sure, I'm butchering the pronunciation of that name. So... Um, it's one of those films which manages to kind of like keep all of the um, pieces kind of like that actually like form the story up in the air right up until the very, very end. Um, so 
it's arguably perhaps like a, a little bit confusing, but um, at, at points because of that, because it's a film that kind of withholds a lot from you in that way until you get to the conclusion where just kind of like everything suddenly makes kind of like a, it comes into horrible clarity what's actually been happening. So it's so it's about this uh, police officer who's investigating uh, this series of horrific murders in this rural town, which might actually perhaps be to do with maybe a plague that's driving people insane and kind of like alongside this um his daughter is starting to act like really really strangely and there's this creepy um mysterious japanese guy living in a hut in the woods and he yeah and and like and um there's this mysterious woman kind of wandering around who he sees like standing like naked in the rain one night so it's it's a film where there's kind of like a lot of like different individual like currents moving through it and it takes a long time for for them to come together and which is just like handled so crazy well by the director that where you do have this kind of like sense of um uh, actually, no. I'm going to take it back. It's not confusing. Where it's, it's, it's a different kind of feeling. Where just sort of like wanting, where you just kind of like you you're waiting for the magic trick almost. You want to see how all of these things are going to be put together and what like the shape that's being sketched out was actually going to turn out to be. Um, there's um, yeah, it's it's really really friggin' good. It, I I hadn't, didn't know anything about this film until I saw it, and I just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, stylistically i don't know why it did this but i just felt like i was watching a western somehow i think it's because this is about you know this um essentially kind of like a lone law official in this rural like in this, like this backwater town almost where all of these just like odd isolated individuals are kind of like moving their way through it it just gave me this kind of like western vibe almost watching it um I will also say though that like the cop in it is like not in any kind of like sense especially like heroic as a character like he's more just kind of like this bumbling oaf of a police officer who's um, kind of almost like Mr. Magooing his way through life like he's not especially you know there's a reason why he's like the cop in this like tiny little rural town like he is uh, kind of like faintly useless you know he's not an especially attentive uh, father or husband uh, I think I god I can't remember actually maybe he is um, but he's you know he's, he's just you know sort of like a large slightly oafish man who like slowly realizes he's caught up in something that is like far beyond his powers to uh affect and control uh and in particular there's one scene i have to talk about where um at one point in the film uh, they one of the characters in this film is this traditional korean shaman and i don't know a very great deal about korean shamanic religion um but the um the way he's presented and i'm really interested to know actually i have friends who live in korea actually i've got korean friends i might ask about this um and he he is kind of presented as as basically kind of like he's 
he reminds me a lot of like one of those like t- American televangelists almost in that he's clearly like done very well for himself with his kind of like snake handling um, business more or less. You know, he's dressed in a very very good suit uh, and he's like his job. And I like well, I will actually speak to people about if the, how accurate this is where he you know, his his job is doing this. Like he performs shamanic rituals. Like he people come to him to have like for charms uh to be made for them and blessings and and stuff like that and there's this scene where for, for plot reasons i won't go into because uh, i don't want to spoil it he um is performing this um shamanic ritual which will cast a, a death hex on someone it will cur- it will kill someone with a curse and the sequence of this is just one is just absolutely superb because it's this uh, I, again, I'm not sure how accurate this is actually to sort of uh, shamanic uh, to the shamanic practices in Korean religion, but this is um, a very um, complicated and very like animated ritual that he's performing, um, involving sort of like animal sacrifice and uh, making of um, burnt offerings and with drumming and chanting and singing and just the whole sequence is just absolutely mesmerizing it's just a fantastically produced sequence especially how it cuts together with other stuff happening at the film at the same time it's absolutely superb it's um just it's just you know you know what it's like when you're just watching a film and you're just like really captivated by just how absolutely excellently made it is it's one of those it was one of those moments like that for me um it's a really it's just an absolutely fantastically compelling film um yeah uh yeah it's and you know it's much again way a way better like movie and horror movie than parasite which again is a very good film like parasite is a good film um but i yeah fuck the oscars and uh this is like this is uh fucking reptiles (laughs) yeah so there you go the wailing um it's just absolutely superb i think it's on netflix i saw it on netflix and i think it's still up there um so yeah i imagine i imagine it'd be easy to find and yeah it's please watch it yeah again these are like all of these films i've mentioned here movies that i think that uh you will be able to just put on and enjoy um quite easily so yeah nice i like that we've established just kind of like um party line like weird signal official line fuck the oscars like fucking <laughs> they Unless some something we like gets an Oscar, in which case, well deserved, good good recognition. So, my last film tonight is um, what I've like not prepared any notes about because um, <laughs> I haven't actually seen it in years. But it's a Hell House. Welcome to my house. I'm delighted you could come. I'm certain you will find your stay here most illuminating. Think of me as your unseen host, and believe that during your stay here, I shall be with you in spirit. May you find the answer that you seek. It is here, I promise you. And now, I'll feed it then. From, and it's like, this is, perhaps, I don't know, it's, Unlike perhaps the others, the uh, recognition, uh, quality, or notableness deficit isn't quite so broad. However, um, it's... Okay, so it's an adaptation of um, a Richard Matheson novel of the same name. Richard Matheson, being a very interesting figure, wrote a lot of things. Wrote Stir of Echoes, did a lot of the Twilight Zone stuff. Um... 
did I Am Legend is probably his most famous uh, story. Um, his son, Richard Christian Matheson, wrote the Bill and Ted films. I don't know about <laughs> the most recent thing, but like, yeah, that's, uh, that's part of the legacy there. Um, bodacious, or whatever they say. I grew, I grew up on that film, but I remember nothing about it. Is, is that um, the film where they say tubular? I don't know. No, that's... that's that's Stranger Things, and they made that up. No one ever said that. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> um, but nah, uh, but but yeah, basically Hell House. So it's like it's kind of like basically the plot of a lot of haunted house things where um, they get a, a, a psychic investigator gets there, or like a psychiatrist slash investigator guy gets a bunch of people, some of whom are psychics, to all go in this house and um, uh, like just hang around, uh, wait until there's like some ghost stuff happens. One of them's got a bit of a nasty history with the house, has been there before, and he's kind of, like, all fucked up by it. One of them's this, uh, lady who's a psychic, who's, like, a stronger, like, I don't think, I don't know if she's, like, a stronger psychic than he is, but, like, it's stronger than him now, but because, that's because he's just been drinking himself into oblivion, uh, for a decade because he's so fucked up by the house. Um, but, I don't know, there's just lots of very, very good elements to it, and also a really, really fucking, like, naff looking bit where a woman is attacked by a cat um <laughs> and it's literally just like um it's a puppet it's a, it's a fake cat it's there um i'm struggling to bring it together but there are some very notable things so like it's a very good scene where um yeah and that there's that dynamic with the uh the guy who's like fucked up by it who used to be a really like child prodigy like level psycho and then has been all fucked up but there's a bit where, like, the, the, the Christian, like, the more kind of, like, um, the more kind of, like, uh, she's very, very idealistic, and she's like, you know, these are all kind of manifestations of biblical phenomena, and I have to, and, you know, we can approach this safely through this, like, kind of methodology. And then she undergoes a kind of, like, um, she becomes the medium, basically, and um, she gets possessed by the ghost of the guy who ran the house and did all sorts of fucking terrible shit in the house, um, and, and the the line, and I remember this because I I ended up doing the, this became one of my bits for a long time. But like she gets um she gets possessed, and she's just saying stuff like no nothing helps, no one can save us, nothing ever changes. They won't let us leave. They can, and he's like they can't stop us, and and she's like no they can stop me, and then he's like they can't but they can't stop me. Like the the um this guy's played by Ronnie McDowell. And, um, and then, like, the ghost takes offence to him saying, um, they can't stop me. And replies with this brilliant bit where it's, like, she's, she, re- or it's the actress replying, but in a really weird, distorted possession voice where she just goes, Who the hell do you think you are, you bastard? <laughs> you, you might have been hot stuff when you were 15, but now you're shit. You hear me shit. And then, like, makes a bunch of stuff explode in the room. And just, the, <laughs> who the hell... Who the hell do they They fucking bitchy ghost. Um, I first came so, across yeah, that line by, by you indeed going, Who the hell do you think you are, you, you bastard? Are bastard. Yeah, um, that was that was me. Ooh, we tried to say that in sync. I wonder if that's actually going to sync up. I love but, the, bu- yeah. like, the word bastard is my favourite swear word just because the mm. amount of like force you can put on the B there. Who the hell and do you think you like, are, you bastard and it's one of them one of those ones that's like kind of like 
I don't know, bitch is kind of ambivalent because it's like, hey, you bitch. Um, you know, it can often be used kind of backhandedly, but like bastard is like almost unambiguously a compliment at this point. It's like, you bastard. You mm. absolute bastard. Bastard. <laughs> you know, um, or it's kind of like used to, uh, I don't know. It's a good word. It's a really solid word. Oh, and another notable thing about this film. So like Delia Derbyshire did the soundtrack. I feel that's worth mentioning. Fucking Delia Derbyshire of like, so she didn't compose the Doctor Who theme tune, but like she may as well have done because everything we understand about the Doctor Who theme tune is from her electronic rendition of what had previously, I guess, been just a written down piece of music. I don't know. Um, there was another guy who actually composed the melody, but like her tape manipulation technique fucking made it. You know, like she's should be recognized for that. And also she did loads of other cool ambient shit that was like honestly way ahead of a lot of what the rest of the BBC Radiophonic Workshop are doing. I mean, like, <clears throat> they did brilliant stuff, but they were mostly known for the kind of, like, the kitsch stuff. She was fucking out there. But anyway, um, yeah. Also, a lot of audio samples from the film were used extensively uh, as samples on Skinny Puppy's albums Bites and Remission. Um, you know, the stuff about the Belasco house, um, Various Church in hell. Church in hell. Church in hell. Church in hell. This yeah, is the kind of podcast content people have been craving for. <laughs> Church in hell. Um, yeah, and there's also a bit where like Roddy McDowell talks about all the awful shit that went on at the house. It's like rape, paedophilia, cannibalism, and a whole gamut of sexual goodies. And it's like, it's like te- technically some of those were already sexual goodies, but like there was also like bestiality as well. <laughs> um, but yeah. Oh, and then like this isn't a, this is a spoiler, but it's like um, so like the reason I think this uh, film hasn't been as well recognized is because the ending is really fucking stupid. Or like the denouement is that the ghost is angry because he was short and like lied about being tall his whole life, and then they bust out like they find his skeleton right in the middle of the house, and it's like, ha, huh, you weren't even five feet high. <laughs> oh my god, that's got some so proper ends. dark place on the G2. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes those to beat the bigots, you need to be a bigger bigot than the bigots. Mm. <laughs> well, that's all of my content for this episode. Um, it's a good film, go watch it. I've got one last movie film for us to recommend. Oh, yeah. Lay it on us, and then I'm probably going to go lie down. And it is the Mothman prophecies. Ah, uh, yeah, here we go. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, go Bowie. What's the third line? Page fifty-one. Still more proof, John Clark. Disappointed that statue they put up to him didn't like include his like obviously huge dong. <laughs> yeah. So Mothman prophecies uh, directed by Mark Pellington. Who I don't think. What didn't... else has he done? What was that? What else has he done? Not a lot actually. I think he, I think he, yeah he kind of like disappeared into the uh, background. I think he did something. Oh, he was something very like random. He did that amused me when I found out when I found out. Hold on, let me just get up his. Uh, Wikipedia play. Yeah, that's right. He uh, directed U2 3D. What the hell is that? 
that's that's it's, it's a film but it's 3d film of you two playing about playing a concert that's it oh no way did you know yeah. nicholas rogue like recorded the famous glastonbury documentary well, yeah, it's not a documentary it's just it's just a concert he free filmed in 3d huh so there you go you know, oh, yeah. I had a weird Mandela effect thing where I was absolutely fucking positive Harrison Ford played John Keel in this, like, most of my life. Like, most of my adult life. I was like, oh yeah, that film with Harrison Ford. And some other guy? Yeah, John Reg- Keel isn't even, like, Reg- exactly yeah. a, uh, a character in it. Like, there's a... Well, okay, so uh, I, need, I should probably explain what the film... Just in case you yeah, know. Yeah, do it, do it. Do yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, yeah. Uh, so the film's about... Um, it's a star. It says from two thousand two. It stars uh, Richard Gere um, in the lead, and uh, I mean, this is a movie that has like a lot of like personal significance for me because, like, I think it was the Mothman Prophecies and the Blair Witch Project were the two films that kind of like introduced me to horror when I was a teenager, uh, and so like it, it's a film that I just like actively avoided watching for a very long time. Because I, it was one of those films where I, kind of, I don't want to risk ruining the golden memory of watching this film as like a 14-year-old or something. I'm being really swept up with it. Uh, but I watched it again, I think it was sometime last year, and it does actually hold up, which um, was a delightful surprise. Um, it's very strange, it's really spooky, and it's just surprisingly compelling like it's uh it's about uh this journalist played by richard gear and his wife dies uh um of a brain tumor which is kind of discovered when after she's hospitalized following a uh, car accident but the reason she crashed the car is because she swerves to avoid this kind of like dark figure she spots in the road and she as she's like um dying she just like fills this notebook up with like these really kind of like disturbing like hurried sketches of this like winged figure this winged humanoid figure um and so like sometime later when uh i think it's like like 18 months later or something like that um gear's character is driving um to a, to a news event and uh inexplicably like as he's driving through the night he ends up in this town called uh, point pleasant in uh, west virginia and he discovers that uh, the town is being haunted by sightings of the same creature his wife saw before she died and um that's that's kind of like the, the plot really and and so like he forms a friendship with um the local uh, sheriff and um they kind of like and what they kind of like uh just sort of like discover is just kind of like how like freaking weird the, the things actually actually are like um because it's because that what's so good about the film is that it does like it resists the temptation of making the phenomenon um particularly comprehensible like indeed like the whole point of the film is that um like there's a lot there's a wonderful line actually something like uh, you know these things are intelligent but you know you couldn't you know they can't really talk to us in the same way that despite our intelligence we couldn't really talk to a cockroach you know that there's like the divide is so deep that no kind of meaningful communication can exist or no communication that can exist that you know the meaning of the communication only becoming clear after the event it was about has occurred um it's yeah it's it's got that very much that like very distinct early 2000s horror vibe to it in that um a lot of like camera sort of like tricks happen there's lots of filters and um digital manipulation and things like that yeah it's got that kind of like um 
as uh, I think friend of the show, uh, Matt Cahoon of Xeno Gothic put it, that um, it's got that kind of um, music video vibe to it in places. Um, I think he was the one who pointed, like, this is like post-show discussions. Yeah, exactly, yeah. He pointed I think we out mentioned... that, yeah, we didn't mention it in anything, but like, I think we did, I think, no, I think we, we brought it up since then. About, but... Yeah, but like, I think anyway, it's just yeah. like basically Fight Club, the films Fight Club and Seven basically set the visual tone for pretty much all films to follow for like all horror for the next 10 fucking years so 10 15 years so um what's interesting about this film is that um it is not uh based on a true story in inverted commas as that statement should always be placed uh, in that um it's about it's based on actual supposed occurrences that happened in the town of Point Pleasant in West Virginia in the uh, 60s and 70s, I think it was. Um, and there's a book called The Mothman Prophecies by um, the legendary paranormal investigator John Keel. And the thing that he really emphasises throughout this book, because he, uh, well, he does cut, like, again, similar to the film, he resists offering explanation, really. Like, he's just presenting, like, the reports that he has learned from the people who lived there and stuff that he, he experienced himself. It's that it's just a mishmash of just, like, chaotic weirdness, where it's um, where you have people seeing this winged humanoid, the Mothman, this winged humanoid figure with glowing eyes. You have people... Um, being um buzzed by ufos and on a drive home there's a guy who claims to like make contact with an extraterrestrial called injured cold there's um people being um spooked by the men in black there's people finding um like matchsticks in like the receivers of their phones like it's just like it's it's like it's like reality is just glitching almost uh and so that's like i think in the book that happens in the book and he like takes apart his phone he finds like there's like part of like a children's like firecracker thing. Yes, yeah. Like firecracker, like trick toy things. One of my favorite, actually, like there's a quick, quick aside. One of my favorite bits in the film where he's talking about like this strange phenomenon. There's a sequence, like a kind of montage sequence, where he goes to the local like record office or it might be the newspaper office. And he starts looking through the reports and like it's got kind of like close-up zoom-ins of like winged figure, strange dark night, like strange occurrences, mysterious phone calls, and then some of them are just like. Very upset. Bin's knocked over. <laughs> just like <laughs> there were some really good ones. I can't remember the others. <laughs> dog and dog distracted, <laughs> frightened dog. Uh, I mean, like frightened dogs, like actually quite serious, but like very upset. <laughs> Perturbed <Red dog>. eyes. <laughs> Perturbed. But yeah, but you do get like. One of the um, like best uh, like because like, when he's there talking to the um, the sheriff about all the stuff that's going on, there's like a really good, there's a really solid line from the film where she says something like, "It's one thing when people come up to you and say they see the flying saucer. What the hell are you meant to say when someone tells you they saw you know picture of um, scary winged humanoid? When someone says they saw this in their back garden, in, in their backyard, and it's just yeah. And like the thing is, because I think it's because I watched this film at a very impressionable age, and it's it made like a really big impact on like my brain like um i actually genuinely for like quite possibly literally years afterwards i had like dreams about the mothman in some variety or another and um and i and i had like a really like distinct fear uh for a very long time of sort of like of like look of like make, i always make sure that my curtains were drawn before sunset just just in case uh when i close them at night there was the mothman 
Mothman just kind of leaning in. But of course, the thing that we've discovered collectively as, as a culture since then is Mothman isn't someone to be afraid of. Mothman is an ally. He, he is boyfriend material. And he's he certainly is, not a Eurasian eagle owl. He is not a Eurasian <laughs> eagle owl. He's a goddamn <laughs> Mothman. Naysayer reductionist rubes. Like, <laughs> get this. Point place. It's in Wisconsin. Or Vermont. It, or it's the state that's next to Kentucky. It's not in Eurasia. <laughs> What's an eagle owl? <laughs> Okay, there are other eagle owls. I'm being facetious, but like, he does actually say that. Like, the eyes bit, do glow red on it. Yeah, there's a bit in the book where he, where John Keel says that sort of like he did interview people and like he would show them a picture of like the owl, the eagle owl. It was supposed to be. He said, okay, so did it look anything like that? And I think that they all uniformly said no. It wasn't the eagle. I know what owls look like. Yeah, you know, I live here. <laughs> I know the difference between an owl and a goddamn mothman. Um, <clears throat> and actually, just to bring up Hellier again, like in season two of Hellier, yeah. like Mothman. As a kind of cameo, so to speak, where they go to um, Point Pleasant, they look around the uh, the yeah, because like most of the sightings happened around this, this abandoned yeah. munitions factory called the TNT yeah. zone. So it's just like all these giant. I think they hold one of their seances there, uh, in like this giant nice. like concrete dome which used to hold munitions. Um, that's one of the things that um, I like really like busts my art about America, and one of the things I just love about. America is kind of like a as as, as an both as a reality as an idea is just the notion of just there's so much empty space there and there's mm. just so much like room for just like have a weird little town that has a munitions factory just kind of like ne- abandoned munitions factory which you could just like stumble across and you know that's because it is just um it was actually like I read on a similar note uh, I read. Max Brook, uh, Max Brooks, um, him of World War Z fame, his uh, World War Z rather fame, uh, his new um, book um, Devolution, which is uh, not as good as World War Z, but it's a perfectly entertaining bit of um, like pulp horror. It's about uh, uh, it's about uh, like an experimental and uh, like eco green town on high tech green town um, built in the middle of. Um, the forests in uh, I think it's Washington State, and which gets cut off, cut off from the rest of the world when a volcano erupts. Uh, but the volcano eruption, volcanic eruption, also causes the local population of Bigfoot to just migrate downhill and uh, start attacking and eating them. It's uh, nice. it's, it's it's not a great book. It's quite fun though. Like and one of the reasons premise. I mention it is because like, indeed a point that's made in the book is the notion of just sort of like the the hugeness of America and the ease with which sort of like you know, the talk about you know if you look at satellite photos you know of the united states at night there's still a lot of just like dark shadow bits where there's no yeah. no one lives there so there's a lot of places like that there and there's which is um you know mothman prophecies and helia both do a very good job of conveying just the idea of sort of like of the undecidedness of america in mm. some ways perhaps that might be an interesting uh yeah, avenue to, to to for further exploration. Actually, the idea of you know yeah. America as a, as a uh, especially because you know, unlike Europe, where you know the countries in Europe have been there forever and have a very you know distinct relationships with with their like their national self identity and their geography, mm-hmm. uh, while America as a as a national self identity is a more ephemeral one which isn't bounded to geography and location in the same way that um yeah yeah, in fact but you know america is 
uh, you know, a project of expansion. You know that it's um, that uh, it's something that begins uh, on the um, the eastern coast and then spreads westwards. Um, you know, uh, uh, destroying the cultures that already existed there. Mm-hmm. But there being, you know, this is you know, and so, but you could perhaps you know from this and considering the you know how young America as a culture still is, maybe you know, that's perhaps a. Uh, a speculative point for deserves the further yeah, thought. Yeah, I've definitely got some things to say this. about that now that I've been studying geopolitics um, with a fair bit of historical materialism. So, yeah, that's totally in our wheelhouse for when my brain is working much better because uh, my brain is really not with it. <laughs> I think I, I, had a, I had a sort of second wind on this cold, but like, uh, it's all gone. Coffee helped. I'm glad I took a break there. Oh my god. Um, we should we should figure out how to wrap this up. Um, well, um, yeah. yes. So, so sorry that <laughs> that's the note we're going out on, or at least I'm going out on. Because um, you know I've got stuff to do. We couldn't do this at any other time leading up to Halloween. So here we are. And I think this has been good. I think people will enjoy this. I hope that people enjoy this. So yeah, we've not been able to do a great deal this year because it basically both of our lives got extremely chaotic a lot of a lot of like unrelated things like suddenly all went wrong at the same time in uh and in my life are still going wrong which is really really stressful but uh other things are also starting to go right which is good um so yeah we've and also just turned out that it's not as fun spending like hours reading theory where when it's like the point of this being a sort of like but at like the end of the month you know oh but then we get to hang out for the weekend and record the podcast and watch movies and hang out with our yeah, friends but we can't do that bummer. because of the like, covid um so it sucks. became very difficult to keep the spirit going but um i do actually i got a couple of uh notes before we go out though yeah uh, you've got other projects happening yeah i've got a couple of projects happening because um i realized that i did actually still want to do podcast stuff during our uh, unofficial hiatus so uh launching the plans to launch on halloween and at this point the only thing that needs to happen is i need to figure out how hosting works is uh, i've got a podcast uh of my own starting called uh the reeves report which is a uh, paranormal investigation style kind of thing which i've heard uh, of it's good go listen uh, which hopefully people will like and enjoy, and we'll see how things go with that. I don't. I have like a faint schedule in mind, and uh, we'll just kind of like go from there. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. Se- secondly, Sorry. is uh, I'm going to keep uh, uh, this a little bit vague because uh, details still need to be threshed out. But um, I'm hoping that very soon I'm going to be starting a, a different podcast. Um, uh, kind of a uh, philosophy podcast with uh, a previous guest we've had on the show and I'm not going to say anything else until uh, it all gets decided so hopefully that should be very very exciting I'm excited do you have anything uh, to uh, plug I've forgotten with? who that is I'm sure you've told me but uh, <laughs> yeah I'm just going to say like I actually I'm going to be guesting on um, pronouns in bio podcast which is a podcast um, my friend Cleo just launched with her friend Re, and um, yeah, I think by the time this isn't going to be spoilers. I think like they may beat us to the punch because they want to get this out their episode out before Halloween as well. So whatever comes out first, go listen to Pronouns in Bio. There's like a new podcast and trans girl on the scene who isn't me. Um, but I, I am probably going to go back to podcasting after I finish my MSc 
in autumn of 2021. I might do some more politics-oriented stuff. I haven't decided, but I want to do something. When it comes to uh, this podcast you're listening to right now, we're saying that we are out of it. We are a little bit undecided about when we're going to be back because Luce is doing her aforementioned <coughs> masters uh, and my uh, various situations in my life are actually still very, very much up in the air and very, very stressful. So I have actually like no idea what things are going to be like for me in like three months time like mm. uh, i i might i might still have a job i don't know um right. but yeah so lots Let's, of like we a, should we should yeah we yeah, should lots... wrap this up but like happy have a fucking get completely fucking lit this halloween even if it's just on your own or even if it's over a skype call or something it's it's in your bed you know it's in the interest of everyone that we party and I'm also thinking of doing like a DJ live stream on Halloween itself, or actually I'm actively planning to, uh, or possibly Devil's Night. Maybe I'll do both. Who knows? But yeah, I am. Um, I'm going to be doing that. So uh, I'll check my Twitter feed for when for when that happens. But yeah, I'll release some uh, stuff in advance. All right. Well yeah. then. Uh, All right. So Great. until whenever it is we come back. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, stay weird. And keep it signal. Like, really hard to, you know, this. Signal the shit out of it. Keep the signal shit fires burning. Alright, we love you. Um, good night. Good night.